The West Coast Traveler is an adventure in itself with content created by professional journalists and amazing photos provided by our readers. WestCoastTraveler.com is the newest travel network exploring all corners of Western Canada and the U.S. You'll see stunning photos and videos, read engaging travel features from around Western Canada and the U.S. Experience all the West Coast has to offer. Begin planning your next adventure. Visit WestCoastTraveler.com. Welcome to Measure Twice, Cut Once, the podcast from Haven, the Home Builders Association, Vancouver. It's season three, and we're exploring how our homes can improve our well-being. We'll be looking at the impact of the air we breathe, the water we drink, and the acoustic levels in our homes, smart kitchens, award-winning designs, and leading-edge building construction. We ask the questions, so you know how to make your home work for you. I'm Jennifer Lee Gunson. And I'm Mike Friedman. Now that you're here, why not hit subscribe, and you'll never miss an episode. Hey, Mike, it's Measure Twice, Cut Wednesday. Yes, it is, Jennifer Lee, and it's always a great day when we get to come into the studio and record this podcast. We get to see our industry friends, hear the latest industry trends, and, of course, quality time with Mike and Jen. Yes, and it's award season, making it extra special as we get to speak with award-winning builders and designers like today's guest, Katarina, co-owner of Designs by KS, and Nikki Furtado, co-owner with his father, Tony, of Furtado Contracting. I believe they are up for several Georgie Awards and Haven Awards. Yeah, and I'm absolutely interested in today's topic, smart kitchens. You know how much I love to cook. And Designs by KS have their roots in kitchen design. And I believe Katarina has a personal passion for cooking and family gatherings, too. She does make a good spread. I've been to her home. <laughs> All right, well, let's bring on our guests and get the scoop on smart kitchen. Welcome, Katarina and Nikki. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm really excited because I get to interview people in the last few episodes. I've known for quite a while. Katerina, I've known you for a while and through Haven. And I'm just excited to sit down with you and talk today. And Nikki, I get to meet you for the first time. So that's great. So Katerina, let's uh, let everyone know about you. How did you start Designs by KS? Yeah, so my partner and I, Sylvie, um, started our little business about uh, almost six years ago now. Um, we were lucky enough to be working together for four years before that. So I often talk about how we got to date as partners before actually becoming partners is what I'm saying. Um, so Designs by KS has been around for five years. We specialize in residential homes, interior design. We do have a focus towards um, kitchens, bathrooms, and just generally the living spaces that you spend most time with. Our overall mission is to improve people's lives and um, spaces and create new memories for them. It sounds like both of you have a background in food and cooking and kitchens. Can you talk a little bit more about that and what led you to this path? We have quite a similar background in the sense of we're both of Greek origin, um, descent, I guess. I was born in Greece, actually. But um, so we have bigger families. We love to entertain. We both love to cook. Sylvie's parents own a um, diner in Kitsilano that's been around for like 30 plus years. So she grew up in the restaurant business. And then I kind of came from a little bit of a similar background where my mom was running uh, pizza places like a franchise in the past. And, you know, I was in the restaurant business for a few years, putting myself through school. So not only do we love the the entertainment in the home and cooking for our guests, but we also have this appreciation of the kitchen from a commercial side that I think brings a unique aspect into that specific space. Does it differ designing for a commercial kitchen versus a home kitchen? And what are some of the things you scale from a commercial environment to make it better for us to operate in our own homes? Yeah, I mean, 
there is a difference, definitely. One's meant to, you know, serve a lot more meals than the residential kitchen, but there's a lot to be learned uh, and taken from the commercial kitchen. The efficiency of that working space is next level in comparison to the residential space. So there's definitely things that we try to tap into and bring them into our homes. And Nikki, tell us a little bit more about Furtado Contracting. You work with your father. I also work with my family construction business, so I'm sure we can share a lot of stories. My dad always told me never to get into construction. I don't know about yours. Basically, ever since I was young, I've had some strong role models in my life, like my father and my grandfather, and both of them were always in the workshop um, building new inventions for the home and also for just everything in general. So, I mean... It was kind of given that I was going to be going into the industry one day. And um, I mean, it's kind of just in my DNA, (laughs) really. Um, But um, we ended up establishing the company uh, in 2009. We're a small family business. Um, My father has been in the construction industry for over 30 years. um, And he holds a civil and structural drafting diploma, as well do I. I hold a uh, structural drafting diploma from BCIT. And this really helps us in understanding the building envelope and being able to easily communicate changes that arise during projects. Um, And then, you know, I've done literally started from the bottom. So I've done sweeping, I've done demoing, framing, drywalling, tiling, you name it, all the way to delivering the final product. It sounds like that's how every kid starts on the job site. <laughs> My brother, too, pushing a broom at 12. <laughs> yep, exactly. So, someone's got to clean that job site for them. <laughs> Somebody does. And I did find out, too, that you like motorcycle racing. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I've always had a passion just for anything that is either working with my hands or just being mechanically inclined. So I've always naturally been drawn towards cars and motorcycles. Um, but I've wanted to do car racing, but that's extremely expensive. So I found a way to make it cheaper by knocking off two wheels. Awesome. Well, one of the reasons we're so excited to talk to you guys this week, and me specifically, is I spend a lot of time talking about smart homes as an entire encompassing thing. We don't really talk about the sums of what a smart home is, but definitely the kitchen being the heart of the home should be part of the conversation. So let's start by having you guys talk to us about what is a smart kitchen. A smart kitchen is actually quite a few things, but from the technological side, I view it as a a kitchen that has a central hub whether that being a Google Eco Nest or an Amazon Alexa or just an app that you can control from your smartphone that essentially communicates with all your appliances, whether it be your stove, uh, your stove top, your hood fan, and being able to communicate. So like you turn on your stove, your hood fan comes on, right? Instead of being like cooking and remembering that, damn it, I forgot to turn it on, you know? Um, so definitely something like that or having a refrigerator as well that... Um, has a sensor in it that tells you when your products are expiring or coming close to expiring Um, or having a camera built into it as well to be able to view what you have if you're at the grocery store and you've forgotten your checklist. Just something to have capability to make a unison flow between all your appliances really but much more than just that though. I was watching a lot of YouTube videos on smart kitchens yesterday, but they were saying one of the biggest hindrances is getting all your appliances talking to each other because when you're using different brands, because maybe you have a different price point, they said it's difficult because not all of them work from one central hub at the moment and because technology is ever changing and new things are coming up all the time. So what would be your best piece of advice for somebody that wants to start doing this type of thing and start implementing smart 
items into their kitchen. In that sense, like one of the things too is if you had just like a, um, a convention oven with a um, stovetop as well, like a range, that would not be compatible with a certain hood fan. So when you're going to the store and you're picking out your appliances from the very start, it's about trying to find which appliances would be able to communicate better, but then also doing research on which system you would prefer to have in your home that is more capable to be um, used in a wider range of appliances. So just doing, doing research beforehand and seeing what system you would prefer to use in your home or which system you already have that appliances are compatible with. And when you sell your home, say you've created a smart kitchen because everybody is a different user. Like I know I'm an Android user and some people are Apple users. Is it hard for resale value if people purchasing that kitchen are maybe not in tune with uh, whatever you're using to guide all the appliances? If you're using like a Google Nest Pro Hub kind of thing, then that is kind of like universal in a sense because your Pro Hub is one that connects. Um, but from a app standpoint... Most apps are compatible with, with your running operating system. So if you have an Android or an iOS or whatnot, you would be able to. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's about um, yeah, trying to find which ones. Yeah, and there's a lot of great software out there that are designed specifically as control options to get different brands to work together as well. There's the technology put in the kitchen that makes it smart, but there's also some thought that goes into it to make it smart as well. Can you guys talk about smart design of the kitchen and how that factors into creating a smart kitchen versus a traditional kitchen? I think that um, the way that we think about space planning in the kitchen is um, very important and there should be a huge focus on that. That makes the uh, the space that you're working in efficient. So uh, space planning, I would say, would be, you know, a key point. And from there, there's key items like uh, appliances that you can consider, like Nikki was just touching on, they're getting smarter themselves. They should be the right fit. Both appliances and all materials and the layout that you're that you're working on should be the right fit for your family and your home. Um, that makes a space smarter to use uh, and more efficient. And there's plumbing fixtures. There's just like different types of countertops and all these t different types of materials um, to consider that will bring further efficiency into the space. And I really enjoyed, you were telling me about your dishwashers, how they factor in your decision as well. Can you talk a little about why you did what you did in your, your kitchen? Yeah, um, I feel like I'm going to say this a few times today. I had the opportunity to do something in my own home when designing it and I built it from scratch with Furtado Contracting. Um, but I got to implement some of these ideas that I talk to clients about and not necessarily everybody's going to go for this idea of having two dishwashers. But for me, it was a very important that um, I a dishwasher is something that works hard. I don't want to be doing all the dishes myself. So automatically you get one dishwasher. I decided to do a second dishwasher, which is technically a half dishwasher. It's a dishwasher drawer. And that overall takes, when we're entertaining, it's doing the extra wine glasses. It's doing the extra cups, some plates, that overflow that the first dishwasher was not going to do in one run. Um, so that's very important to me. I also, there's like little points that if you're a young family with a baby, that secondary dishwasher, that drawer can just sanitize bottles and all the kids stuff separately from what you're using throughout your home. Um, and I was also going to mention that in my particular layout, I have a galley style kitchen. So my sink is on my island and I pretty much decided to purchase a very expensive drying rack because 
you do some hand washing, pots, pans, or delicate like wine glasses and so on. And the natural place to find them to dry is on your countertop. Well, that doesn't look good when your sink is on the island. I know that's most commonly what people do, but since I'm not entertaining every day, that second dishwasher is my clean dishwasher. So then when I'm hand washing, everything goes in there to dry and it's not sitting on a mat on my countertop. So you already mentioned that you chose a galley style kitchen. So how did you decide to go with that certain plan that that would be the one that would work for you and your family? It goes back to the idea of bringing in that commercial restaurant, uh, the commercial kitchen into my home, um, knowing the efficiency behind it. So you often see a galley style kitchen, especially in very small restaurants. You'll see like essentially two benches, the cooking side and then the washing side or prep side. Um, so I decided to base it around that it made for efficiency as to how I rotate between my two working stations being cooking and then cleaning. Uh, so on the backside, I have my uh, cooktop and then within a step or so, I think it's really one step within a rotation, I get to turn around and be at my sink and use that counter space either side of it or the sink itself. So that efficiency, I think, was picked up from the commercial kitchen space. And with that being said, I also wanted to bring it back. There is a lot of light, especially in the past little while, um, on a working triangle in the kitchen. Now, I find that a little bit overrated. If if we just think away from this triangle, because it, it is putting borders into that layout, um, overall, I think you should be thinking about the working stations. You can have like your refrigeration station all in one wall, and it doesn't fall within this triangle, but then you have your um, cooking station and then your cleaning station. They don't have to be all in line within a triangle space. We talked a little about appliances. And I want to go back to appliances because there's so much conversation around appliances. Number one, the major appliances, and number two, the increase in the number of small appliances we all have to deal with. Um, let's start with large appliances versus small appliances. The challenge is always cost versus space, and how does one make a decision as to which pieces they're going to have in their house and why? Can you guys talk a little bit more about that? So once you've designed the layout of the kitchen, what actually goes in there and how do you make space for it? I think uh, the big conversation actually may start with the appliances before you even uh, design the layout. Um, in my particular space, I knew that I wanted an X amount more of appliances than the average home. So that was taken into consideration even when we go back to the galley versus an L-shaped kitchen. Those things, because appliances are big and they take up space, those things were taken into consideration up front. And because there's a certain price point to them, appliances can be from, you know, a very low budget to half your budget entirely for either your renovation or the space itself. Um, so focusing in on the appliances starts to set your budget as well. It also sets up your space for functionality and storage. And when you're designing, obviously there's the fixed appliances, but do you ever count the small appliances? Because a lot of people like to bring in everything from there. I heard air fryers are a big thing now. These small appliances... I think they're not a trend. They're here to stay. Whatever the trend may be about the air fryer or your rice cooker, these small appliances are meant to make life easier and more convenient. We're on the go all the time and we live busy lives, but um, at the end of the day, we're healthy and we want to have home cooked meals and these small appliances make for convenience when it comes to cooking. So we now are taking more so in consideration all these small appliances and where they're stored and how efficiently you can get to them. Um, I have a, an example of, you know, for years, 
I would try to pitch to my clients an appliance garage. Now, we did see it in probably like the late 80s and 90s, and it actually looked like a garage door. Uh, we've modernized that. It doesn't look like a garage door, but it does sit on your countertop, and it has the opportunity to have a, a cabinet door on it, and you close off these appliances from showing on the day-to-day, but perhaps your countertop is running right through that area, so you can drag out your rice cooker that's actually heavy or your uh, mixer and so on for easy convenience you pull it out you use it we've also put outlets inside that cabinet space as well so if you wanted to you can keep your coffee maker running all the time inside that space and just close off that door or keep it open that's cool I remember having appliance garage while growing up (laughs) with the door that would go all the way up and down yeah you know what's actually funny about that I was saying earlier that I've tried to pitch it for years and finally people are coming towards the light because they're seeing how many small appliances we have but the toss-up is how much counter space you have and then I'm trying to take away that counter space to give it to this appliance garage. And people are like, oh, whoa, 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 but I need counter space. And then I tell them that I think it's counterproductive. Oh, (laughs) I was working on that. (laughs) Yeah. So, and the point being is that those items are going to stay somewhere. They're going to be stored somewhere and you're going to end up putting them on your countertop to use them. So there's a beauty in just covering it all up at the end of the day, so that area looks clean and minimalistic as well. We're living in smaller spaces, so you don't want the space to look so crowded. And back to my galley kitchen, well, I don't want appliances on my island. The island is always on display because it's not hanging on a wall. Um, so to have my coffee maker or my toaster just hanging out there every day doesn't seem ideal to me. What are you doing in the way of energy management for these appliances? We have numerous appliances plugged into our home. We know that most things are drawing about 25% of the power on standby as they're in full operational mode. You look at eight devices, that's certainly a lot of draw. How are you guys managing that? Yeah, so even on the, I mean, there's a lot to be said, but I'm going to keep going on my appliance garage idea. So I said that you can leave an outlet inside that space, right? You can plug in your items. So in order for that to pass inspection, that outlet needs to be switched off when the door closes off, closes. So the, there's a little sensor switch on, on the case of the cabinet or on the door. I'm not sure it's on the case, right? Nikki. Yep. Um, so when that door closes, the energy is shut off from the outlet, which is pretty cool because at that point, you don't need those appliances. They're not running behind that closed door. They shouldn't be running. Your toaster should not be running behind there. Um, but it's shutting off the power in that area itself as well. So when you're done with your area, you close the door. You didn't have to sit there and unplug your three to six appliances that it may have fit in there. When you leave your appliances plugged in, like you were saying, they draw 25%, but that adds up to 10% of your energy bill every every month so a way to mitigate that and to try and keep those those um, vampire or phantom powers down is to install uh, smart outlets instead so one thing to keep in mind when doing your smart outlets like yeah you can do it after you know after you've had a renovation or whatnot you know it's been down the road and you're trying to mitigate your power but it's also better to kind of think about this beforehand because what you can do is if we have everything lined up beforehand with a designer and, and us, 
what we can do is we can plan what a small appliances you'll have along your countertop and then we can run those smart outlets in line with one another or down downfall of one another to be able to be mitigated from the app on your phone so you can leave on your coffee maker if you wanted to because you need it to wake up in the morning or you can have it turn off your other appliances that are connected in line with that. I just have one question. It may seem like a ridiculous question. When I was a kid, the microwave went in a cupboard, then it went over the stove and now it's back in the countertop. How are people dealing with microwaves these days just so we know what the latest trends are in terms of how to manage that? I would say that they're entirely walking away from microwaves perhaps. <laughs> There's been a shift where the microwave is not as popular, although practical, so I totally understand. I don't have a microwave in my home. I've switched to a steam oven. It does almost everything that the microwave does, with the exception that I believe steam doesn't boil water, I think. That's what it is. And also it doesn't do popcorn because it's steam. Um, but out of those, uh, other than the, those two things, uh, a steam oven is a much more improved little appliance. But for those that do have microwaves, they're often, I would say, most commonly in a base cabinet with a little trim kit around it. So it's treated like a little wall oven. Um, and that's it kind of hidden away. And other than that, I mean, we're still putting them in tall cabinets, a little bit more elevated in height. Another thing I was thinking about kind of going back to the power topic was lights. I know some kitchens have a lot of pot lights because you need to be able to see what you're doing, but I'm a fan of natural life. How much do you guys account when designing a kitchen uh, to add natural light? Every chance we get. I would say that um, natural light is something that I'm very passionate about. I came from a duplex into a house now. In a duplex, you get like half the amount of light. So natural light is very important. If you have the opportunity in a renovation to take that existing kitchen window and grow it in height or width, I would take that up. Um, it just does everything for our health and our moods. And then the electrical, your pot lights, are something that should be supplementing that natural light. Katerina and Nikki, this is such a great conversation. Smart kitchens are definitely making our lives easier as we incorporate technology into appliances. There's a lot more to discover about smart kitchens, including design and organization. But first, we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. Measure Twice Cut Once is grateful for the support from our podcast partners, Fortis BC. Their support helps us share expert knowledge and resources like you're hearing today from Katerina and Nikki to help design and build the right kitchen for you. Speaking of resources, the BC Energy Step Code Program is a provincial standard that is moving the entire home building industry forward to build homes to better energy efficiency standards, which means better comfort, health and safety. Be sure to check out betterhomesbc.ca where you'll find a variety of rebates for construction materials, home energy evaluations, plus mortgage and tax refunds. So we're going to talk about planning and we're going to talk about the location of the home. Where do you figure out where to put the kitchen in the home? Because again, it depends on where you want that natural light coming in while you're cooking. Well, there's a few things to take into consideration. Um, I would start by looking at the the box, the space that you're, you have overall. Be, in a renovation, that space is existing. So looking at it as a whole entire area and maybe consider perhaps relocating the kitchen if its current space is efficient enough or if it could be improved. Now, there's different opportunity when you're building from the ground up. You get to plan where your kitchen goes right off the bat. And there's a few things to be um, talked about and considered. Nikki and I worked closely on the layout of my space, and I want him to touch on like the energy efficiency of getting the the galley-style kitchen that I did in my space and how we chose not to touch any outside walls. 
Correct. So yeah, uh, going on that sense there is um, when designing your layout there for your kitchen, you were very conscious about where you're putting it in the house. So her kitchen is actually not on, it's not on, it's not an L-shaped kitchen that's on two exterior walls. We've moved that away from the exterior wall and now it's more centralized in the, in the open space there, but you have only one side that's touching the um, exterior of the house or the exterior wall. Now, one benefit is to this is that with the energy step code guides that we'll get into later on down the road, um, we're going to be wondering more about how to make your space more energy efficient and also to remain with keeping your air tightness numbers down. Um, now that is done by not penetrating your air barrier membrane that you have on your exterior wall. Now that is what we know as a poly or the white or the um, clear vinyl that we have on there now. Um, so that would have to be touched up if you put an electrical outlet or if you put plumbing fixtures or whatnot on that area. Um, so a way to avoid that is either build away from an exterior wall so that way we don't have that problem or move that air barrier to the outside by using a Tyvek instead of using a poly inside vapor barrier as your air barrier. I was also going to say, so these things are... Um, considerations when you're building and renovating. And some of that advice will come from your builder, perhaps your architect too. So it's very important to have those conversations early in the planning stage because it will affect your overall layout. Speaking of overall layout, you know, we've seen a lot of push towards open concept homes. One of the things I deal with on a daily basis is noise in the home and the transmission noise Thinking about that, what are some of the things that you guys do when designing a kitchen in an open concept house to mitigate some of those noise issues and some of those issues of noise carrying throughout the rest of the house? In some cases, um, we go back into a space and maybe introduce a wall here and there. Um, so open concept is great, and I don't see that changing um, anytime soon, but people are maybe appreciating that one wall being back in because it acts as a sound barrier. Maybe it's giving you a little bit of privacy of hiding some of those dirty dishes while you're entertaining and just leaving them aside. So there's a few bonuses to it. But when overall working in that open concept, you want to take um, use materials that are perhaps absorbing sound so that sound is not bouncing all over the place. There's also smart um, plumbing fixtures. Like one of my favorite things is faucets. A couple companies like Growy and uh, well, there's there's a few actually. So they've taken air out of the stream of water. So where typically when you turn on your faucet, you get that aerated sound that sounds like this. Shh. And they've removed that air. The only sound that you're hearing is the water splashing on your the bottom of your sink, which is not that loud. That is giving you the opportunity to have clear conversations while somebody's doing dishes. It gives you the opportunity to do the dishes while you're entertaining. You're not having to sacrifice dishes over conversation. Or you want to watch TV and not have it on full blast to entertain yourself while doing these dishes, which is quite the chore. So I have a quick question about wall assemblies and exterior walls. Now, we live in a pretty temperate climate here, but we know our climate's shifting. It is getting colder in the winter and hotter in the summer. The way we've been building houses traditionally, do you anticipate problems with pipes and stuff on exterior walls freezing based on how we've built houses in the past? What would happen if we were had like three or four consecutive days of like minus 10 or minus 12? What would happen to some of these houses? 
So, I mean, if, if you didn't have any insulation or you had a pipe that was too close up against the exterior sheathing of the wall compared to being closer in on the um, warmer side of the home, then you're going to have problems there. So, I mean, in that sense, I mean, it's kind of going to be what you had previously. You can't really change much to it. But when we're moving to these energy step codes, we're working towards ways of not having that be the problem by putting exhalation in, insulation on the exterior which we call exhalation now. So what we want to do is we want to mitigate the cold and moisture from the outside before penetrating through your sheathing, right? So by having that exterior insulation on the outside of your home, what you're doing is you're stopping that cold air by having it already hit that insulation before coming into your sheathing and then coming into the insulation that you already have existing in your home. So that, that would be a way that we're looking to mitigate the pipe problem if you want to call it that, um, down the future roads with the energy step guides. My neighbor's home is um, less than 20 years old. And through this last uh, cold stretch, she had to come over and use her like tap on the side of the house. She had no water for like almost two weeks. That's crazy. So Katarina, I absolutely love cooking in my home, although my kitchen's not nearly as nice as yours. Um, one of my favorite things is cooking on my gas range top. Now we're, we're changing and things are changing in the city and in general. What did you choose for your range top and why? And how would you adv advise our listeners to manage the decision they make to make the right decision as to what technology they choose to cook on? Yeah, so I mean, you have your personal preferences. Mine is gas. I've cooked with uh, both gas electric. I've done induction as well. There is technology behind a lot. Um, it comes down to preference. You know, I love to barbecue winter and summer. And then the same kind of or similar flavor that you bring in from the barbecue outside, you can have inside your home with your gas cooktop or range. Um, I'm, you know, passionate about my pots. I have a lot of cast iron pots. The cast iron and then the gas brings a certain flavor into my veggies that I'm working on inside the home inside the home not barbecuing outside all the time so to me it was very important I really had to balance and sacrifice some things in order to get this done in the planning phase when we were thinking about this I think the the city of Vancouver changed somewhere along the way but I was caught in an old rule where I had to pick you know if I'm going to have a gas barbecue a gas fireplace or a gas cooktop and I pretty much had to give out everything else. Oh, and the, the in-floor heating was an issue too, because it could have been um, electric or um, gas as well. So very important cooktop. It was like non-negotiable. Also non-negotiable was my barbecue outside. I do not want to sit there and deal with propane tanks, which is kind of ironic that that's an option, but um, I had to maybe give up the gas barbecue. So I had to give up essentially the fireplace. We have a steam fireplace instead and uh, it's really just for looks. It looks like fire. It gives you ambiance. Um, but other than that, you know, that was not as important to me. To me, it was very important to have to be cooking with gas. And not everybody would agree. I mean, there's lots to be said about uh, induction cooking, but yeah. Did the decision to use gas change your ventilation needs and what kind of hood fan and, and how you took care of the air quality in your home? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you do have to step it up with the CFMs on your hood fan when it comes to gas. Um, so, and um, there, there is more in the planning as to what your mounting heights between your cooktop, your cooking surface and uh, your hood fan um, that range is also to be taken in consideration, but using good appliances, um, will make a difference as well. 
Yeah, I mean, most of them already come with um, recommendations anyways on what heights they want from the manufacturer. So it's just staying within those. But then, like you were saying, for the air quality, obviously bumping up those CFMs, but then also looking at um, if you're not taking out too much air from the home, right? So that's one thing to also take in consideration as well. Yeah, and that's where um, giving the right budget for certain appliances or key areas in your renovation or your new build is very important. I mean, I knew I wanted to have gas. I cook a lot and I wanted a good hood fan that didn't sound like, you know, an airplane taking off um, two or three times a day when I'm using my cooktop. Other things that we think about when we are in the kitchen, of course, is the design. We touched a little bit about it, but a lot of the trends now, too, is you're hiding a lot of the bigger appliances. So, like, if you have a fridge, you can have paneling on it. Um, are you seeing more people pick that up or are you seeing uh, a lot more people wanting to show off their fancy appliances? I encourage the paneling of the fridge specifically almost to all clients. It does force you into a certain price point. Uh, you're at the mid to higher end for appliances, although there are fridges specifically, although there are a few inexpensive fridges to look at. Now, I believe that we're living in smaller quarters these days in, in our real estate. So to panel a fridge, which is a big appliance, I would say is smart because it gives you this continuous look of millwork and you're not getting that break between millwork color and stainless steel. So I encourage it all the time between a dishwasher and a fridge, almost always. And this kind of goes a future proofing your home because too, like... If you like the look of it now, then obviously it's going to continue and be like a good resale value as well. You don't want to be like, oh, okay, well, why didn't I do that sooner? Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot to be said about when you buy this this paneled ready appliance and it's forcing you into like the mid higher range of uh, price points in the appliance world. Well, just recently, I have got two current projects where we're, we are reusing their Sub-Zero fridge um, that's been previously paneled. Now we're renovating, changing the look, but that same fridge is staying in there. And it's it's outlasted a 15-year kitchen already, and it's going into the its next, you know, 5, 10 years. Styles change. Formats change. What people like change. So how, when you design a kitchen, do you future-proof it so that I can update elements of it to match current styles as I age out in my own home? Well, I think there are things that don't change. Your, your family needs are custom to your family and uh, your home's needs are also custom to your family. And then the trick to that would then be taking those needs and introducing it into a timeless design. If you can achieve a timeless design, it's going to last longer um, than, you know, certain trends. So that's important. And then you want to build and use materials that you can work with again in the future. Like the simple example of the Sub-Zero fridge getting repaneled. Same thing with the dishwashers, like where you don't have to replace them in five to 10 years. That seems a little bit never mind 10, but five or eight years, it seems wasteful to do so. So putting the right budgets in the right materials will give you an opportunity to stretch that out, both in timelessness, but maybe onto its next reno. And I think something to add onto that would be um, really focusing on your design layout. You know, if you're going to be going through a large renovation, you want to be able to take in how to make this space be more usable over its life lifespan. You don't want to be having leaving something up that could have been taken away or removing something that should have stayed up um, just to be able to, to make something or save money or, you know, um, along that lines. 
But essentially what you want to do is start off with a proper designed layout that's going to be able to flow for the rest of the lifespan of your home where you'll be able to just be able to, you know, re resurface your panels or, you know, resurface your kitchen, new countertops and stuff like that instead of having to go through a larger scale renovation each and every time. Well, thank you guys so much for all that awesome information. Katerina, Nikki, thank you for joining us on today's episode of Metro Toys Cut Once. Exploring smart kitchens is an inspiring topic, popular with homeowners. Who doesn't want the best kitchen they can have? It is the heart of the home. What an amazing conversation this has been. There have been some great tips shared. Today, we've learned so much. As an example, before you start planning your kitchen, go to the appliance store and identify your wants and needs, taking in consideration prices to help you establish budget. Work with your builder to try to find smart, energy-saving solutions to keep your operating costs down. When planning your kitchen, take into consideration surrounding walls, rooms, and windows. And plan like a professional chef when designing your kitchen. Excess space is not always required. Spend more on appliances and fixtures you use every day, like your fridge and your faucet. And most importantly, team with a good builder and designer to have your home built right the first time. To be able to take a few renovations down the road, you can do cosmetic changes versus structural upgrades. And Katerina, do you have one tip to share with our listeners? Some final parting advice. If I had to narrow it down to one, I'm going to make it a long sentence. Uh, I would want the viewers out there to spend the right amount of time on their project, to give it enough in the planning stages, and to also give it enough of the budget that it deserves. And Nikki? When choosing a designer or a builder, you know, don't, don't let the cost be a factor. You don't want to go with a lower price because, you know, lower prices mean that corners get cut. But you also in saying that you don't want to be going for someone who has a higher price because the highest price isn't the best option. You really want to pick someone who's going to be very personable and someone that you've able to look at their past jobs, talk to clientele, uh, get testimonials and be someone that you would like to work with. Thank you both so much. Great tips. And I think we should all head over to Katarina's place for a home cooked meal. This conversation is me thinking about food and you do make the best appetizers. <laughs> I'm in. Nikki, best of luck uh, and Katarina as well at the upcoming awards. It's really great to see fantastic people who are leaders in our industry getting the credit they deserve. So congratulations to both of you. To our listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast, please follow and share with your family and friends. And the more followers we have, the more people find our podcast and the excellent resources our guests are sharing. If you want to check out other award winners and finalists, head to haven.ca slash awards. And for notes and links to everything mentioned in today's episode, including pictures of this amazing project, go to haven.ca slash measure twice cut once. Thanks for joining us. From the latest community news to informative, entertaining reads for travelers and the cannabis curious. Just visit your local Black Press Media community newspaper website to sign up today.